I V M. Folks, welcome to Pesa Pesa. I'm your host Anupam Gupta, and I'm really thrilled. This is part of our Advisor Perspective series to help you make better, smarter financial decisions. My guest today is Lavai Navlaki, and we're going to talk about transitions and much more on this episode of Pesa Pesa. And folks, starting from today's episode on the last Monday of every month, we're going to try something new. We're doing Advisor Perspectives, really deep conversations with a SEBI registered investment advisor. We're going to run this for about six to seven. months you talk about we couldn't be talking to six very seasoned veteran financial advisors about financial planning right going into some really deep conversations about stuff that goes beyond investment returns looking at money as a whole financial planning for all your assets and a whole lot of stuff you're going to be really wanting to do that and please tell us what you think of this idea we're going to be running this for the last monday of every month starting from today's episode hope you like it And welcome back, Lovai. Welcome to Pesa Pesa. Thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. You've come all the way to Bangalore, all the way. I believe that you keep on coming to Mumbai very often. Thank you for doing this, sir. Most welcome, uh, Anupam. I think it's uh, good that I am apparently the first person on this uh, episode. Indeed, you are. And as you know, I do everything which I do. It ends up oh. being first, so <laughs> this is a nice thing to follow. Let's start from there, Lovai. Tell us more about this being first, because you are the first certified financial planner in India. Okay, so talk, no, now that is extended. among many ma- yeah. many other things. Let's start on that. Tell me. Yeah, so um, I, I think that for me, uh, the whole uh, process of getting into personal finance happened a little bit by chance. A little bit, I would say, happened by design. I used to be with a financial services company as one of the jobs that I did and during that time I would uh, you know have newer products that came out and I would go with that portfolio of that product and meet whoever I found and talk about that product you're talking about 90s right Yeah I'm talking about 90s you give our listeners a sense of the era because that was very different I thought you wanted me to reveal my age but that's good. <laughs> okay yeah so uh, in the 90s whenever I would talk about that product it was a great product it was fantastic it had great features but back of the mind I knew that it was sometimes good for certain people and not so good for the others and I felt that there needed to be you know the right product for the right person being offered So that's something that probably stayed with me. Subsequently, by in that same financial services company, we started distributing mutual funds, and we didn't know what the hell mutual funds were again in the late nineties. Yeah. First again, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, one of the mutual funds uh, put out a questionnaire and said, "Write down the age of your younger child." Uh, and when I wrote it down, I said, "What a funny question." I wrote it down, and they said, "This is what you need to invest every month to educate your child." And I said, oh. "Forget younger one, older ones also not happening." <laughs> the amount they wanted me to invest every month was more than what I was earning then. Oh. And the thought that came to me was, "I wish somebody had told me ten years ago what to do." So these two things probably stayed on with me. I subsequently joined the dot com. Had a great time there. As my wife says, got younger during that period. I was in just getting into forties, but the average age there was I don't know eighteen and a half or twenty one or something like that. First forty year. So there were there were others who were my age. So okay. that was good. And uh, luckily for me, uh, you know, the CEO there after you know running Monday morning meetings for a while, where people would complain about the toilets and coffee and stuff like that, got into you know specific stuff on. products and he said 
one fine day called the management team and said bloody hell i'm only you know doing all the work on a sunday now i'm going to rotate this and you all do the session so i started doing sessions on mondays in rotation and the thing i would ask the team would would be you know how much money do you have in your bank account don't keep so much money idle next time say okay do little long term debt investing start doing sips and so and so forth and a few of the people from there came to me and would meet me after the meetings and said you know i have worked for 10 years i have many pairs of shoes but no mutual funds uh, <laughs> where do i invest so i would ask them uh, you know do you have 500 rupees in your pocket in those days they were taking cash i would get them to fill up a form and invest so the first few set of investors as such came during that dot com the famous uh, you know dot com crash happened and uh, along with uh, 93 others seven of us management team was pink slipped we identified who the 93 were uh, we volunteered to be pink slipped and then people asked us uh, you know uh, those who had invested through me saying will you be able to do this will you manage this will you start something of your own and i said no way but i'll manage it's a small lot of people so i started off in that manner in the first probably month or so few of them got their settlement started talking to me and i i mean a penny dropped and said wow this is exactly what i want to do and at that stage those two learnings of uh, you know doing what's right for client and also trying to educate them help then yeah. that's how they started now wait tell our listeners about your firm impl because it's among the oldest right because you said that after this incident when let's say discovered your calling this would have been in the early 2000 that's when you actually started a practice of financial planning for your clients and they were kind enough to pay for you as well so tell us about your firm which is international money matters when you started it and how's you know what's been the journey so far and let's go from there Yeah so uh, one of the first things that I did when I started off was you know I had my old visiting cards I would scratch out the company <laughs> name and keep the mobile number luckily it was personal and then realized okay I better have a card in which case let's have a name and I thought of money matters then and it started off as a proprietorship as money matters and in 2004 or 5 I think is when I started uh, visiting you know of the US for conferences and to meet up clients and i was thinking of switching the company to i mean creating a private limited company and that's when i thought okay let's since i'm meeting people internationally let's add international of course i looked for the name money matters international private limited because it had a lower authorized capital and less amount to be paid <laughs> okay um, but there was money matters india private limited or limited at that time and they said no we won't give you that name so you better put international in the beginning yeah. and that's how international money matters got formed and initially frankly i never did financial planning you know when i started off it was mutual funds it was trying to educate people about why they need to invest in mutual funds etc and i was learning frankly along the way so happy that the early clients were uh, allowing themselves to be experimented on and then in the second year i thought okay let me add life insurance because i think protection and risk protection was an important element of wealth management so i did life insurance and then somebody told me oh there's this financial planning course coming to india and you know there's a session happening at the taj west end you should attend i said what is it about and they said goals and stuff like that and i said oh this is what i have been doing but i never knew it was called financial planning of course in a very very elementary sort of manner uh so i went for that and said oh this is worthwhile let me enroll and so 
Then I became in that first batch of 26 people who had a convocation together. Mm. Actually, there were first two batches. Um, and that's how I became in the first batch of CFP. CFP. That's what yeah. I was waiting for. The course and this yeah. is the US degree, I guess. Yeah. So this is actually global. It's in 20 odd countries now. And they they approve the countries based on, you know, certain standards and education and the process, etc. So the course is common. But if you wanted to practice in a different country which had the course, you have to write the local exam. So mm-hmm. essentially the local tax rules and, you know, Corporate PF and whatever, those yeah, sort of yeah. things will not be, will be different. Yeah. So you better know that. Uh, and that's how I did my CFP. And um, yeah, and you mentioned about, you know, charging fees from clients early on. Uh, in the second year, some of the clients told me I should charge a fee. And I said, you know, why I'm getting everything from the product? And they said, no, you're doing something more. And my dot-com days came to my help. So I said, let me write an SLA. So long before Sebi thought of SLAs, uh, had SLAs with clients saying, this is what you will do, this is what I will do, etc. And started charging fees. And financial planning came probably a year or year and a half later. So in that two years later, I then started charging financial planning fees, of course, with a two-page ragged uh, financial plan. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think I've learned uh, along uh, the way. You've done as good, you know, it's like a backward integration, so to say. Started with mutual funds, added life insurance, then financial planning. Talk to me about the IMPL today, the range of services that it offers, because it's huge. I mean, you've also got international stuff out there. So let's talk a bit about that. So I, I think the way I think about it is that individuals uh, all require handholding because in situations that you face, you almost always feel that you are alone, that this is something that is only happening to you. It's unique to you. And therefore, my the important thing was trying to create some sort of structure. I'm pretty much a hands-off type of guy in terms of managing team. So I don't like to interfere too much. So my thing was that I try and create a process so that it works independent of people and independent of me for sure. Clients sometimes don't like it. They said, oh, it's both bada ho gaya. You know, you can't handle me now anymore. Uh, but it's not that. I, I know that the process and the systems that are set will allow for different people to handle these clients. So what I tended to do is that to look at two aspects when you get in clients. One is the client who feels that I have only 100 rupees and I need 500 rupees to meet all my goals. And therefore, I need some sort of planning. And I think that's the first uh, misnomer. People earlier thought financial planning was for people who had the money. And frankly, financial planning is for people which will help them meet their goals. So the 100 requiring 500, that's one set. So I need to know what my goals are. I need to know what my income is, what my expenditure is, where I've invested, what my liabilities are. And then you sort of create a financial plan based on assumptions of returns, of inflation, etc. You build in some scenarios. And so you get the, I would say, a real global class financial plan, uh, which can also transcend borders. So if there are clients in different countries and there are issues relating to taxation, inheritance, etc., etc., those are things that we would incorporate and do the plan. 
The other set of clients who might think that they don't require a financial plan. I have money with me. I have maybe 700 rupees and I need only 500. So I want the 700 the way I want. My only sort of caveat to such people is that you still need that 500 to meet your goals. That 200 is extra. So the 500 needs to function as if it's a plan for the goal. The 200... Yeah, as I tell people that you either put it on horse racing or put it under the mattress, you can go <laughs> either way. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah, because even if you lose it, you're still meeting all your goals, right? So uh, that's the, obviously the answer somewhere in between. right? <laughs> so you get the people who want to do wealth management. Now, invariably, I think people think of wealth management as a very glamorous profession in the sense of I must do exotic stuff. So I must be a Virendra Sevag in every ball of the match and I don't have to be a Tendulkar or a Dravid. And I think that that's not true. Uh, each of the Tendulkars and Dravids also have Virendra Sevag type shots and the Sevags have the Correct. defense of Dravid, right? So I think it's a combo and you don't need to do too much of exotic stuff. Ideally, actually, you need to eschew the risk. Because if you protect downside, you will make a lot more on the upside. That's what our belief has been. So we tend to look at that. And once you look at that and you overlay this with financial planning, where the basis should be asset allocation, mm -hmm. which means that I want to distribute my assets and not have too much in any one basket. Automatically, as I increase the range of products that I offer, so I want people to have maybe 10% of their equity investment, domestic equity investment in international. So if somebody has a 40-60 ratio and has 40% in equity, then I would say 4% should be international or 6% should be international. So the answer for everybody is different. So one, it's customized. But we would look at some of this sort of structure and say, okay, 5% in gold, 7% in gold, 3% in gold in that range again. Look at the shorter term goals and have certain things which are invested safer and then do the rest in the longer term. And as you move from mutual funds and you want to go into, let's say, portfolio management services and the minimum amounts now are 50 lakh for an individual manager, then we would say, okay, unless you have six, seven crores to invest, then, you know, it's not worthwhile taking the risk and having too much weightage in a portfolio management service. You want an AIF product that's available, but then if you're 10, 12 crores and above, then it makes sense because it's a crore. And international, again, you know, if I was to do $5,000 and $10,000, really, I'm not getting too much diversification. So again, if I was to do directly through LRS schemes, then I need a little slightly higher amount. So we do all of these things. In sure. terms of planning, protection of risk, looking at the goals, making the investments, whether it is domestic or it is international. And of course, we are always careful about wanting to invest only in regulated products. It's not that we never did unregulated products before. We did burn our fingers with some unregulated products in the past, which was pushed by a lot of clients, which was art. Mm. Uh, but we said physical art, you will get delivery, etc. So at least got delivery questions were of authenticity and, you know, ability to sell, etc. But yeah, that taught us that, you know, we should just stick with regulated products and not worry about anything which is not regulated. Yeah. And folks, don't, you know, I know that Lava is talking about 5 crores and 7 crores and 10 crores and 12 crores like it's anybody. But remember that things like planning, asset allocation are universal. No, let me, in fact, add to that. I think in the beginning, people asked me that, 
are you dealing with hnis and i said no i will deal with i <laughs> i don't know what hn stands for because i think every individual is unique um, and my learning in the early stage was i would meet a lot of people who wanted to invest i would spend few hours with them uh, and then they would say oh i checked with my uncle he said don't touch mutual funds you must never invest there and i said oh this is odd so i wanted therefore the you know charging a fee also helped because then it sort of weeded out people who were not serious but i think the big ask from them was not how much money you have but do you have the time to devote to you know explain what your objectives are Uh, so do you have that one hour of time to sit and you know just talk about what your dreams aspirations are uh, i don't want to know how much money you have i just want to know your dreams aspirations what sort of issues have you had before in terms of dealing with a financial planner or advisor have you ever dealt with one why haven't you dealt with and what really are your sort of worries if you were to outsource this I think those are important questions to answer. Uh, the reason I'm saying larger amounts is that because now we have a larger team, so you also need to ensure and figure out. And I tell this to most other financial planners is that in the beginning it was you know I'll deal with anyone because wow you know I'm getting a client. Uh, at some stage you need to figure out what your sort of true north is or where are you going to make the biggest impact or where would you like to make the biggest impact. um and we realize that complex situations is something that we do very well uh cross border situations we do well uh people going through transition we do well now not too much of this can happen for people who have just started work i'm Obviously. sure there are people who also are facing these issues at that stage but the numbers are not large enough and therefore we think we can make a bigger impact there but earlier i we still have a long tail of of clients who you know started early on maybe just bought an insurance policy just did some sips in some cases may have forgotten that they have their investment and we are trying to now reach out to them and tell them oh you have this money you know it's grown so much so yeah, yeah. folks we are spending a lot of time here in making you understand the financial planning process because if you paid attention to what lovai said a while ago where he said that you know it's that your planning is more than just about the return that you get on your investments or the which mutual fund you have it's more to do with your goals with asset allocation and one important part of this of financial planning like like lobo said and something that international money matters specializes in in transition we're going to cover that right after this break and that's when you'll understand how financial planning is much more than finding the right stock finding the right mutual fund you know and going for this 10 10 12 12 15 15% that people keep on talking about financial planning is much more than that folks and you'll find out why right after this break and welcome back okay lovely let's talk about transitions and maybe you want to just you know talk about that anecdote that you told me when we had spoken for the very first time about how when you were in the US you heard of transition and you realized that this is exactly what you want to specialize in and how it's relevant to our lives yeah so um It's a very personal incident uh, that I went through a very close friend of mine passed away in 2013 12 weeks in hospital went to get a checkup done never came back home oh, that is uh, tragic that is tragic yeah so and the first probably 8 weeks or so we used to go every evening to the hospital and chat with his wife and you know the kids there uh and we thought it was a picnic and we thought he's coming back um but it deteriorated and then his wife um, you know I periodically off and on would do a little bit about his investing he was a businessman 
and i asked his wife whether she needed help with the finances and she said yes and we would set up meetings we would set long meeting time because we said a oh, lots of agenda to cover we'll do a 2 hour meeting and we would spend probably 5 to 10 minutes on the agenda and then we would lapse into memories it was a good healing process for me as well i'm sure uh, for her it took much much longer and during that period i went to the us couple of months later to a conference a financial planning association retreat and at that uh, meeting you know they had one event called under the trees uh, where different topics uh, somebody is leading the topic you all carry your lunch uh, sandwich apple and uh, juice literally under a tree under a tree so genuinely actual, actual, actual like, under not a tree. like you're in an auditorium and there's no not in the auditorium <laughs> it was open uh, nice. Okay. Uh, nice weather etc but uh. we went we sat there and i sat on this table where this lady was talking about transitions so i said oh great i had heard her speak at a conference 2 years ago so i said yeah i know this person let me go and listen and there were a few other people around who seemed to have also done something on this program and uh, apart from what they spoke about the program etc what it does i said oh one minute you know i'm going through a case like this and i described and said this is a you know relatively young widow late 40s and i've this has happened just two months ago and i've been you know meeting uh, up and setting up meetings for two hours and having many things on the agenda and when i start the meeting and that's much that's all i said and they completed the sentence and told me how the meetings would be running wow and i said one minute how do you know i mean said you know we've been doing this as a studying this uh, as a science for the last decade or so and um, you know when people go through transition um, their sort of mind space is sort of fractured so you are not able to think clearly rationally and therefore you have to have very very short meetings and very very pointed agenda items if at all you want agenda to be discussed and when i heard this i said wow this sounds great and then i further understood that whenever you go through change whether the change is planned or unplanned your emotions tend to get the better of you and therefore you are not in a position to make rational decisions and therefore you need help at a time like this so if you did go through the program and became a ceft that is a certified financial transitionist then you would have the ability to talk to people going through change and handle them and pick out only the things which were important to be done at that time and the rest of the things you could actually postpone so wait let's go a little bit deeper in this and tell us about more examples of transition some of my favorites one or other the one that i find the favorite probably closest to my heart something that i've also done in the past is just wake up one day and said i'm quitting my job i don't know what i'm going to do but that's it i'm done of course nowadays people are smarter i want to start my own firm and all that and i want to do my own startup and all that is this also a type of transition and what what other transition have you seen your clients in so interestingly uh, you know susan bradley who started this uh, program did a ted talk and uh, in the ted talk she got everyone in the audience to stand up um, no sorry everyone sitting down and 
started drilling out transition one after the other and said if you've gone through this stand up if you now standing up then put one hand up other hand up etc and you know virtually the entire audience uh, had gone through and sometimes without your knowing it you're going through it yourself so let's start you know you completed your education and you decided to go abroad for studies okay you then came back and got married or you took a job then you got married then you had a kid uh, then your kids went to school and college then the then they went away and you became emptiness you changed cities you changed jobs wow. you went through a divorce uh, there was a death in the family you inherited something all of these are transitions uh, and at every stage and frankly after i've gone and studied the program and qualified i realized that this impacts me i mean even though i know it um it sort of impacts me at that stage i don't want to think anything beyond so when i am caught up in something which is grabbing my attention everything else is a blur right and sometimes there are other things which are sometimes equally important sometimes the other person doesn't recognizing what happened to you why are you behaving like this you know you might notice this with your friends or whoever you meet up and that's when you realize that oh they are going through a transition and therefore their their process of thinking is sort of broken uh so every stage like this causes this change and the program actually started and susan was a financial advisor at that time and someone approached her saying why don't you give a talk to this bunch of women who are going to get some money out of a class action suit in the us and um, when she studied beyond and said okay we'll talk to them about what to do with that money but what happens later etc anyone doing any work on it and there was really zero work happening there and so few, she started working on this she was forced by a lot of her fellow colleagues saying no no go deeper into this uh, i think very good well wishers and friends like that and she ultimately sold her practice and got down to saying okay i will help other advisors who are facing clients who are going through this transition mm. uh, to this and i, I think there was a amazing work on that. So what you're talking about sounds a lot like a therapist, you know, that you would have these kind of deep conversations on the psychological side also. Let's talk about the financial side. So when you talk about transition and financial planning, what does that mean? Does that mean, you know, asset allocation, changing stuff and just No, so it it's not I mean it is certainly not psychotherapy. Um and I think that's the distinction that the CFT program makes that you have to have an understanding of money. There have to be money issues that you're dealing with. but we have to recognize the fact that despite the fact that there may be people who are very rational who may do a lot of analysis and thinking decisions are normally emotional the trigger is emotional so you might do all the analysis as to why you need to invest in a particular thing but one fine moment or day or whatever when the penny drops it's an emotional thing that ah now i'm fed up of doing this analysis i want to action that's the emotion that's riding you or you heard a friend or a podcast talking about certain things and you said okay now i'm going to do it so it becomes an emotional sort of decision to start off so you have to know that there's an emotional aspect to it the second thing is that even though so let me take an example so in fact i got referred to funnelia psychotherapist as a client how about that and that must have been fun yeah so <laughs> i i obviously when i did the course i started telling a few people from my clients that i i did this etc and some of the people who knew one of them who knew a psychotherapist who was going through a divorce and he said that you know she might need your help not as a financial advisor but actually as a cft and this was maybe 5 6 years ago 
and I'm in Bangalore and this person being referred was in Hyderabad. And I said, okay, fine, let's get on to a call. And I get on to a call and this person is telling me about her life and what she's going through. And then I tell her that, yeah, this is great, but ultimately, you know, we end up doing financial planning, etc. So I need some data. She says, I'm not yet ready to give you that. And she has two or three conversations and then says, okay, I'm coming to Bangalore for some event, which is at the outskirts of Bangalore. And so on my way back, it's a Sunday. I can, you know, meet you close to the railway station. And I said, sure. And then she says, no, no, actually, it'd be very difficult. I think you are very far, etc. So she's avoiding. And I said, no, I want to meet you because a face-to-face will help. Mm. So I meet her and I say, let's just chat. And she says, at the end of it, says, you know, I'm glad we met. Uh, so I will share some more than I met her once more in Hyderabad. And I think one of the things I learned from the CFT program, which I told a funnily a psychotherapist, which she's, I think in many cases, she tells her clients this. But the point I'm trying to make is when you're going through this yourself, it's very difficult for you to, you know, self-medicate. And therefore, I think she needed the help. So I told her, I said, one of the tools that this program actually tells you is that you can avoid making decisions. So there are periods where you can avoid making decisions apart, you know, very opposite to what I learned in MBA saying any decision is a good decision. <laughs> okay. um, so they call it decision free zone. And in that period, one of the tools it says is, can you break up all the things that are worrying you and maybe take a piece of paper or a chart and write down everything that's worrying you. So I told her actually to do that. I said, you know, you're, you're not sure about the settlement. You don't know about your elder daughter's college, you don't know about the younger daughter's schooling and then the home that you're living in and whole bunch of things, her business and her practice and stuff like that. So she put all that down and then I said, okay, now let's circle out the things which are all pertaining to family, circle out everything pertaining to your kid or to your, you know, business pertaining to home and so and so forth. And just doing that exercise calms you down because you now don't see 25 things, but you see six big topics and those 25 things broken down. The other thing then you start doing is that in each of these six major topics, what are things that you have to do now? What are things that you can do, you know, a little later? So once you start separating that out, then your sort of attention then needs to go only on the things which are here and now. Mm. So let's say you've had a situation of a death in the family. And now you're taking over some of the assets, business, etc. And now you come to 31st July income tax return. Now you don't have a choice. That's something that you have to do now. Correct. But many other things you can postpone. You don't have to take that decision now because you're not emotionally ready for that decision. So that's something that worked. And it took almost two years before she wow. said, now I'm ready to be a financial planning and advisor client. And all this was gratis, but it was great learning for me to uh-huh. implement uh, the transition. I mean, here I thought I'll get some ad- advice from you that what if tomorrow, I, you know, if I, like you said, I wish I knew of this 10 years ago. So and now I'm telling you that I wish I knew this back in 2007, 2008, when I decided to just, you know, quit. What would be your advice to me at that point of time, Lohi? So there are a lot of people who are going through this and a lot of people who think about this all the time. I hate my job, you know, I have to do <laughs> what I really want, right? So You get this a lot, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, plenty of this. So I think from a financial standpoint, you just need to ensure stability, right? You want to make sure that, okay, how long will it take for you to start earning? How long will it take for you to think about starting to earn? And then when you earn, will it be 100 
out of the 100 that you were getting or will it be 60 or 40 or 30 you make the estimate i can't guess for you and that helps us to work out and say okay fine if you are going to earn 60 uh, then can i sort of put a little pressure on you and say okay 3 years after you start earning 60 will it go up to 80 and 5 years later can it go back to 100 so now i am working with okay these 2 years i'll do nothing and the next 5 years is a sort of runway sort of time before take off and i'll go back to the same level of course inflation will hit etc but at least i have some data so and i think the advantage of going to a financial planner is not for the financial planner's wisdom alone i think the ability or the the number of different clients and situations that the planner faces allows that now saying oh yeah i met somebody else or i did deal with someone 3 years ago who had this similar situation at that time remember i i mean to myself that i forgot this particular thing or this was the thing that came in the way uh we did all the planning but then life happened so i must point out to anupam now that okay remember to take care of this or is this something that worries you at all wow so i think it's it's a lot of um, i think the great thing about this profession is that there's learning all the time yeah there's learning all the time and uh, frankly before this podcast <laughs> i'm just coming from a meeting huh. uh with a client whom i had 15 years ago he decided that he will move on to one of my ex colleagues 2 uh, 3 years ago or 5 5 4 years ago and he's meeting me with his wife saying i want to retain you for my global advice uh this particular ex colleague is handling the india part but i want global advice and i you know i keep thinking i don't have enough i am 60 i'm going to stop working 5 years from now my wife says you know we have enough why are you worrying and why is he worrying i said you know essentially it's what he experienced when growing up mm. it's not something that i can change and you can change and this is how i came from same background similar i said mm. but your the lessons that you learned at that time and got imprinted on you were different so i think a lot of that comes from experience and i think one of the great things the cft program taught me funnily which is not to do with actually some bit to do with cft is listening and that's also part of the program that it actually allows you to listen really deeply they test you for listening by the way yeah yeah i'm sure i mean a lot of this comes from that the kind of stuff you're talking and folks that's why we've called this series advisor perspective because there's learning listening and so much so much love we are winding up the episode now what's the most freaked out request you've got from a client because the kind of relationship that you have with clients are fairly long term right some might come to you are shaadi karana hai bacche ki kuch kahin se kuch to ye leke aur rishta leke aur something other than you know advising on funding the education of a kid and you've got deep relationships with your clients what are some of the most more you know hatke requests that you get okay so not i'm not so sure hatke <laughs> but uh, i have had questions from um, a uh, widowed client saying you know i've been thinking do i need to switch my postpaid phone connection to prepaid uh genuinely i think do i have enough um and and okay. yeah so i've had that i've also had saying you know i have two kids my son wants this 10 lakh lup- rupee loan for me for his business um uh, can you give me good reasons why i can tell him no without him feeling bad about it uh okay <laughs> yeah this gets this yeah. is getting more interesting I, i'm trying to remember but it's it's so a long memory to go back postpaid versus prepaid and then how do i say no to my son who's asking yeah. for a 10 lakh loan yeah yeah Man, like yeah. the advisor like the consigliere in godfather or something 
you, so I think this this allows you to be in that place uh, because you are uh, it's very deep. I think very often we've had people coming to us and seeking advice whether they should take a change in job. You know, and and we've had one client actually who was part of a founding team uh, in India. Uh, did a financial plan and we found that okay there was nothing really left to squeeze in terms of expense but he had to have higher earning he went back spoke to the firm for increase they couldn't he actually shifted to the middle east because he had to earn more to meet his goals wow so um, i mean we do impact lives and that's true impact yeah, yeah you're making yeah. you know you're really impacting a person at that level then that's yeah. true impact love it last question so that our listeners have specific takeaways from this episode what's your you know checklist i would say that when someone is going out to seek advice from a planner or from an ri whoever it is you know what are the few things that you should keep in mind while seeking advice um i think first do a lot of um, good due diligence before you choose whom you are going with So don't be in a rush. Not just because your neighbor, colleague, uncle recommended a person, you need to go and pick that person. So be careful about that, and therefore also know the type of questions that person is asking you, uh, so that you know that he's genuine. So the questions that the the advisor or the planner would ask should denote to you or convey to you that he's going to care for you. and take as my one of my clients says you know i want you to take care of me and not take my money <laughs> take care of my money and not take my money you know so yeah so i think that's a very important piece to know and what are there similar clients he has dealt with situations etc similar situations i would say yeah so that you can vibe and fees normally how do they work because i think as per sebi regulations you have to disclose your fees on the website am i right on that yeah you need to disclose i, I I think the ones who are uh, RIAs, um, and once you have conversations with them, you will find the difference between an RIA and somebody who's purely looking at managing your wealth. Um, you will find that they will look at things from a more longer-term perspective, and they as yes, they have to disclose. And I think there is regulation, but there is a good belief in my mind that regulations also will ease out and pave the way for more RIAs to be in business. uh and one is hopeful for that till that time we'll enjoy the sort of monopoly that we have <laughs> yeah of course come on what less than 1500 ris for a country which has you know but 25 crore households and i'm sure that that's but everyone needs good financial advice what do you think so no 100% i think everyone needs financial advice like i tell people that good you good financial advice sorry for interrupting your the financial advice so koi bhi deta aaj ki tarikh mein aap youtube mein jao aapko 10 log mil jayenge lo bhai come on here okay let me say good financial advice okay good people financial like <laughs> good financial advice um, so i i think that there are three reasons why why you might not need a good financial advisor and you want to do it yourself uh, and i know your book talks about that uh, number one um, you understand how to read finances understand the nuances etc number two you have the time and not just the time today because you are taking a break and therefore i have the time okay you'll need to have continuous long term time and third which i think you can't manage which is manage your emotion I use a financial advisor, so I don't know why anybody else does it. Are you serious? I am serious. Somebody from my team, huh. I've tried telling outsider saying pitch. Uh. If I like you better, I will actually give you the business because I can't manage. Uh, there's a lot of 
emotional baggage that comes yeah i know i know what to do when but that the day when it comes i am busy i can't do anything there so okay now on the wrong day i will take that action so yeah, yeah. i yeah. hear you love i am a chartered accountant and i have another ceo you know i ha- i hire a ceo for filing my tax returns i you loved it clear. i think spend your time in whatever your core area is uh, and outsource the rest is what i believe what a great takeaway to wrap up this episode folks focus on what you love doing and give everything else to a specialist I get you right on there lovey yeah folks on that note that is the wrap on this episode of pesa vesa advisor perspective series number 1 remember these are longer episodes with deeper conversations to help you make better decisions and also to introduce to you the basic principles of financial planning that's the wrap on this episode my guest lovey now lucky founder ceo of international money matters lovey thank you so much and especially for coming here in bombay from bangalore and giving us your time for doing this episode thank you so much lovey loved it thank you so much thank you for that and folks listeners thank you for listening to this episode of pesa vesa if you like this podcast don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the ivm network you can listen to us on the ivm podcast app or ivmpodcast.com you can also follow us on our social media we are ivm podcast on twitter and instagram if you want to reach out to me i am your host anupam gupta b50 on twitter and folks thank you really thank you so much for listening to pesa vesa No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision.